0: This morning's reading is from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 23. While Paul was waiting for the Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Amen.
1: One of the happy surprises of the lockdown has been the chance to see Edinburgh differently. Going on long walks rather than driving around the city, over the past 10 weeks, I've seen parts of the city that I've never seen before. And I've seen familiar parts from a very different angle. I've discovered streets that if I'm honest, I never knew existed, while I've seen familiar buildings and landmarks from a very different perspective. Over the last 10 weeks, many people have appreciated the chance to see things differently. Although the lockdown has been hard, it's given us the chance to have a different perspective on life, to have a different perspective perhaps on where we live. When you get a different perspective, it changes how you see things, and sometimes that includes how you see yourself. One of the leaders of the early church, Paul, had come to see things very differently. His life had recently been changed dramatically as he came face to face with the person of Jesus. He changed from being someone committed to wiping the church off the face of the earth to, everyone's surprise, becoming one of its leaders. And now in this morning's Bible passage, we see him arriving in Athens. And he sees Athens completely differently. Arriving in the port three miles from the main city, think Leith to Edinburgh, he was confronted with statues, shrines and temples. There would have been statues everywhere to different gods. Poseidon, Athena, Zeus, Apollo, Hestia, Aria, Aphrodite, Dionysius, Gaia, Diana, Artemis, Jupiter, Venus, Mercury, Bacchus, Neptune and Mars. All the Greek gods of Olympus with a few Roman ones thrown in too. These shrines and statues would have been built out of stone and brass, gold, silver and marble. Entering the city itself... Paul would have seen the Temple of Nike, or Victory, and his eyes would have been drawn to towering over the whole thing, as it still is, on the Acropolis, the Parthenon. A massive structure built to celebrate the goddess Athena after a famous victory over the Persians in the 5th century BC, five or six hundred years before. Athens was the city of Socrates, Plato and Aristotle the home of Greek philosophy, the birthplace of Western ideas on democracy, architecture, beauty, and theatre. Paul, born in Tarsus, itself one of the main centres of philosophy, was now in Athens. This was the Mecca, the Oxford, the Cambridge, the Harvard, the Edinburgh of the South, to coin a phrase. But Paul was not impressed. He saw things differently he saw as Jesus saw and his reaction in verse 16 was a different perspective we're told he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols one writer says that Athens was like a forest of idols it was smothered swamped almost overwhelmed by idols And Paul just didn't step back like a tourist and admire it. He was distressed. He felt a mixture of grief, anger, sadness and indignation. Perhaps like some of us have felt this week, watching events unfold in the USA. Paul knew what it was to be very religious. But he also knew the difference that an encounter with the risen and ascended Jesus made. Luke tells us in Acts 17 that Paul makes his way firstly, as he normally did, to the synagogue, where he tried to persuade the Jewish worshippers that Jesus was the Messiah, God's promised chosen one. But then he moves to a place called the Agora, or the Marketplace, a sort of mixture of a farmer's market, debating chamber, and the centre of public life. And there he encounters two groups People called Epicureans and people called Stoics. The group called Epicureans believed that the gods were distant and remote, that there was no life after death. So live in the moment, live for today. The Stoics, well, they were different. For them, it was all about the rational and the logical. Think Mr. Spock in Star Trek. Hearing Paul speak about Jesus and the resurrection, Both groups react by saying, what is this babbler, this jackdaw is the sort of type of the language that's being used. What's he trying to say? He he picks up truth and he drops it like a bird. He's He's a word scatterer. And they take him a few hundred yards northwest of the Acropolis to a place called the Areopagus, the hill of Mars, the god of war. And this was where the senior council of Athens met. It was like a sort of old boys' network, the former, what were known as archons or the ruling ones. It's a court because, you see, in those days in Athens, to allow someone to establish a new god in Athens, you had to get past the Areopagus. It was like the dragon's den for the religious. You had to show you had enough followers who had enough money so that you could afford to build a temple so you could afford to build some statues, so you could afford to pay some priests in order that sacrifices would be made in that temple for the followers with the money that they had given. In the speech that is captured in Acts chapter 17, Paul defends his beliefs, probably if we're honest in a speech that would have lasted for two hours rather than the two minutes it takes you to read it in verses 22 to 31. It's a summary of his talking points, but each one is deliberate, aimed at what the Epicureans believed, and aimed at what the Stoics believed, and aimed at what the philosophy in Athens would have said about God and gods. He's talking to the Greek philosophers as much as he's talking to you and me today. And he says four or five things. Firstly, he says... I'm not bringing anything new. That's one of the charges they bring against him. What is this new teaching that you're bringing to us? And he's saying, I'm not bringing anything new. New in the ancient world was always bad in our culture, in our society. New is always better than old, whether it's the latest mobile phone or the latest tablet or the latest fad. New equals better. Well, in the ancient world, old, always equaled better. New meant immature, unproven, not to be trusted. So Paul says, I'm not proclaiming something new. What I'm proclaiming to you is something old. And he he says, you've got an altar to to something that you call the unknown God. Well, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. You've got an altar and a statue to him. I'm going to tell you, about this unknown God. And secondly, Paul says, the God that I'm telling you about, he doesn't need a temple. He doesn't need human hands to serve him. He doesn't need priests or followers or sacrifices. He made you and the whole world. It's not about you making somewhere for him so that he can serve you and do what you want. In fact, it's quite the reverse. He made you, with the idea that you and I should serve him. And then he says, the God I'm telling you about doesn't need a temple or a statue of gold or silver or stone. And remember, he's saying this with the backdrop of the Parthenon behind him, surrounded by people who had spent most of their lives building statues and shrines and temples to the gods that they believed in. Paul says, the God that I believe in, the God that I'm telling you about, doesn't live in temples, doesn't live in buildings, doesn't live even, we might think, even in churches. Because God is the God of everywhere. He made everything. It's not about us creating a home for God. It's actually God making a home for us. And then to counter what the Epicureans believed, he points out that the God that he believes in isn't distant or remote, but he came to earth in the person of Jesus and proved that there is life after death, which neither the Epicureans or the Stoics believed in. He proved that there was life after death by bringing Jesus back from the dead and he speaks about jesus and the resurrection in such a way that the people who are listening to him think that he's talking about two gods jesus and this thing or person called the resurrection and paul concludes by saying because god made everything because god made human beings to serve him because god came into time and space in the person of Jesus, and proved who Jesus was by raising him from the dead. This God commands everywhere, and here he uses a word that we think of primarily in religious terms, to repent. But the Greek word metanoia literally means a change of mind, or a change of direction, or a change of heart. It's the word that would have been shouted out at a group of soldiers who were walking one way and were told to turn about, to turn 180 degrees, to stop going in that direction and start to go in that direction. And Paul says, God commands people everywhere to have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. And rather than trying to get the gods to do what we want, it's actually about us doing what this God that Paul was proclaiming in Athens wants us to do. That if we're going to live on God's earth, we need to live life God's way. And whether it's in Athens in the first century, or whether it's in Edinburgh, or wherever you're watching this in 2020, God still calls for the same today. We might have different idols. We might have different places and different names for them. It might be things like wealth or success or status or power, physical fitness or beauty, relationships or or even the family that we make an idol of. We may have different temples and shrines, each with their own priesthoods. Our idols might be in an office or a shopping mall, a gym, a yoga studio or even a football stadium. And they demand our time, our resources, our energy, our loyalty and our money. And they tempt us with the things that the gods used to tempt the people in the ancient world with. They tempt us with satisfaction, with recognition, with perfection, with achievement or with fulfilment. One contemporary writer observed it in this way. What is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. The last nine or ten weeks have given many of us the chance to reassess our lives. To reassess what is really important. We've had an opportunity to get a different perspective on what we think is really important. On what we think is important in our nation, in our society, in our city. Perhaps to think differently about what jobs are important or essential or key. All of a sudden those words have taken on a different meaning than perhaps they had even 10, 11, 12 weeks ago. But the question now, as the restrictions start to ease, as we start to go forward into what is becoming known as the new normal, is, well, what will we take forward into that new normal? What will we retain from this process, this period of a chance to reflect and reassess what really matters In life. Will we remember the lessons that we've learned? Will we continue seeing things differently? Maybe it's been a chance for some people, even for some of you watching, to think differently about God, to think differently about yourself, to think differently about other people. Through his encounter with the risen and ascended Jesus, Paul learned to see life differently. Paul learned to see himself differently. But fundamentally, Paul learned to see God differently. Because now he knew God as his heavenly father. Not a God who is distant or remote. Not simply a God who is Lord and judge but a god who could be experienced a god that he could live in a relationship with a god who knew what it was to feel what he felt a god who had walked where he walked a god who could be known as father and the question for you and for me as we go forward into this new normal is what are we going to take into that new normal? And how will our relationship with God, at whatever stage it finds itself this morning, how will it deepen? How will it grow? And how will we learn more about God so that we see God differently, we see our world differently, and we see ourselves differently, even as God sees us?